This is the Calvary Bible Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. We're praying this message encourages you. Learn more about Calvary and join us online each Sunday for services at calvarybible.com. We all know people who lack self-awareness. To be clear, we're not the ones who lack it. It's the other people who do. They don't see themselves as clearly as other people see them. They're somewhat deceived about themselves. They might come across as rude or arrogant and they don't even know it. They might think they're better at something than they actually are. Maybe you've heard the stories of uh, Florence Foster Jenkins. There was a movie that came out a few years ago that starred Meryl Streep and uh, Hugh Grant that was about her life. She was a New York City socialite in the early 1900s who desperately lacked self-awareness. She loved to sing. The problem was she couldn't at all, which didn't stop her from giving voice recitals to her social circle on a regular basis, none of whom apparently had the heart to tell her that she was maybe the worst singer in the world. She couldn't carry a tune, couldn't sing on key, had absolutely no rhythm whatsoever. She was terrible. She was like those people you see who audition on American Idol or America's Got Talent, and you think, has no one ever given you any kind of feedback? Her mother had left her a large inheritance, so she had plenty of money, and she decided to put on a concert at Carnegie Hall. She gave a sold-out performance there in front of thousands of people. It would be kind to describe it as cringeworthy. Before this one, all of her recitals were for her friends, who I guess never gave her feedback, and her manager-slash-boyfriend had worked really hard to protect her from criticism, but he couldn't keep newspaper critics away from this large of a show. And the reviews were scathing all over the New York City papers. She never sang publicly again. It's one thing to lack self-awareness about our singing ability. It's another thing entirely to lack self-awareness about our spiritual life. To see ourselves one way and to have God see us another James, the brother of Jesus, wrote a letter in the New Testament that was written in part because he was worried about Christians who lacked self-awareness, who were, in his words, deceived about their spiritual lives. Let's open our Bibles or journals together to James chapter 1. James is a New Testament letter that's famous for its clarity and its call to action for Christians. You can find it after the book of Hebrews and right before the book of 1 Peter. We're several weeks now into our series, what we call a market up study together in the book of James, and we'll finish the first chapter today. In the second half of chapter one, James warns his audience three times about being deceived. Verse 16 says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. James loves his fellow Christ followers, and he doesn't want them to lack spiritual self-awareness. He wants them to see themselves clearly and to not be deceived. 
one of the most common ways that that happens is in verse 22, which we looked at when we were together last time. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If we just read the Bible and never do anything that it actually says to do, we're in danger of being that kind of person, someone who is deceived about their spiritual life. And the way to counteract that is to be doers of the word. We talked about several ways we can be doers of the word last time. If you missed that message, you can click this link or the one in the description below to find it. But in the two verses we're going to focus on today, James gives us a few examples of ways to be doers of the word. Verses 26 and 27 say, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. But religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. These three examples of how to be doers of the word are not meant to be an exhaustive list. It's, it's not like they're the only three ways to be doers of the word. They were probably top of mind for James. Maybe they were some specific issues in the church in his day, and they form the key themes that James writes about throughout the rest of his letter. There's a connection here between self-awareness and being a doer of the word. Those who do the word refuse to be deceived about themselves. And James focuses on three areas, how to speak, how to serve, and how to be unstained from the world. These topics make up the rest of the book of James. This is like the jumping off point for the next few chapters. Speech is the theme of chapter three. Serving others is most of chapter two. And remaining unstained from the world is the focus of chapter four. Before we look closely at these three examples, let's talk about one verse that pops out in these two verses. Religion. Religious. It's probably not a, use, a word that we use very often. And it's a word that isn't used very widely in the New Testament either. These two verses are some of the only places that you'll find it. Probably because the word religion can mean so many different things. It's one of the reasons why it kind of bothers me. Maybe it bothers you too when people call me religious. This word really means the external display of your spiritual life. It could be describing someone who simply participates in a religious ceremony, someone who is really traditional in practicing certain things, but it's all kind of an external show. And Jesus was not at all impressed with external religion. In fact, it was one of the things that he railed against during his ministry. When I think of religion, I think of the Pharisees, who are often a subject of Jesus' teaching about external religion only. The Pharisees were the group of religious leaders in the time of Jesus who were so concerned about external obedience, but on the inside, they were evil. They plotted and succeeded at killing the Son of God, all while remaining very religious in the eyes of people. On the outside, they were obedient. 
On the inside, they were rebellious. And James says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Fake. Make believe. It's not true religion. It doesn't matter how religious we think we are if we're deceiving our hearts. If we are inwardly rebellious, it doesn't matter how externally obedient we are. If we're only hearing the word and not doing the word, not putting it into practice, then we are deceiving ourselves. And that kind of religion, which is just a facade, doesn't count for anything. So the first example James gives us of how to be a doer of the word is this, how to speak. He says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, Jesus said this to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Words matter. They complement or cut down. They can build up or they can blow up relationships. And our words, what we speak, is, is kind of like taking the temperature of our hearts. When the Bible uses the word heart, it means more than our idea of like emotions. It's the way we would think of our heart and our mind and our will and our desires. In many ways, our whole person is wrapped up in the biblical idea of heart. So when we speak, we are revealing the truth about us. And James uses this vivid word picture when he talks about bridling the tongue. It's as if our speech is a wild animal that needs to be tamed. It has to be controlled. He'll go on in more detail about this in chapter 3. But we all know that our words can betray us. We get a little judgy. We gossip or grumble. We criticize someone behind their backs and say something about them we would never say to their face. Our words can be lies. They can be vulgar. They can be furious or abusive. And if we think we are religious, like in a self-righteous kind of way, and we just let our tongues loose like a Mustang, it would seem like we lack some spiritual self-awareness. The reality, though, is that religion alone can never tame the tongue. Only the Holy Spirit's work in us can reign in our words. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. That's what we need to watch our words. So as we live our lives as doers of the Word of God, we want our speech to be a reflection of and an expression of our heart for God. It matters, according to James, how we speak and also how we serve. Verse 27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit widows and orphans in their affliction. We're called to care for people, to live out our faith in love, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. There's no question 
that doers of the word serve the needs of people. This has always been the call of God's people. Right after the nation of Israel had been delivered by God from their slavery in Egypt, God gave his law to his people. And there were laws about worship, there were laws about morality, and there were laws that were given that would govern this new nation. And God made it a legal requirement to care for people in need. In Exodus 22, verses 21 and 22, God said through Moses to the people, you shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. Orphans and widows in the ancient world had nothing. There were no social programs next to no opportunities for women to earn money. And so left on their own, they were helpless. And they are meant to illustrate to us all kinds of people who are helpless and in need and to reinforce for us that as God's people, we are called to care for the helpless. Now, let's be clear, just as this is kind of a summary of all different types of people in need that we're called to care for, we absolutely should care for the needs of orphans and widows. I'm so thankful for so many of you and the ways that you care for them. For many of you who have grown your families through adoption, for so many of you who love foster kids, some of you, you know who you are, are caring deeply for foster kids right now. For desperate family situations and you're stepping in on a regular basis to care and minister in extraordinary ways. And I'm so proud of you. It's an example of the way that God is working through you to meet the needs of people who are in deep need. We have teams of men who serve uh, widows and single moms through our Men of Action ministry. Hundreds of families at Calvary sponsor children around the world through compassion or world vision. And we're also called to care for sojourners, or to use another word, refugees. Our three teams at Calvary are coming alongside Afghan families and helping them acclimate to our community. Some of you serve at the Boulder Shelter for the Homeless or at the Safe House. We have many mentors who tutor kids at local schools. There are so many ways that you can help people who are in need. And if you'd like to get connected with one of these options, I hope you'll fill out our online connect card by clicking this link or the one in the description below to let us know how you'd like to help. This is the heart of God, to care for those in need. That's who God is. Psalm 68 verse 5 describes God this way. He is the father of the fatherless and protector of the widows. That's who God is in his holy habitation. The Bible is filled with our call to care for those who are in need. Did you notice that James says we're called to visit orphans and widows in their affliction? Like go out of our way to be with them, to spend time with them, and to visit them in their affliction, the ones who need our help the most. This is one way to be a doer of the word. So we've seen James give us an example of how to speak, of how we serve, and then he talks about how to keep oneself unstained from the world. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The world 
in the language of the Bible, is the way things work without God. When people live without thinking about, looking to, or loving God, that's the world. And we all know how easy it is to go along with it, to find ourselves being tempted by the way things work without him. The world has different definitions of success, of pleasure, of power than the Bible does. And the influence of the world can sort of contaminate us or stain us, to use the words of James. The world can make us dirty like a spot on our shirt. Now let's remember, James is going to tell us later, we all stumble in many ways. None of us live perfect lives. We will live out a constant tension between the world and the will of God. The Apostle Paul did, and so we should expect to also. He said, I do what I don't want to do. I find that when I want to do what's right, then evil lies close at hand. And God in the midst of that is gracious. He calls us back to him. He forgives us and he sets us back on the right path. I think one key idea for us about keeping ourselves unstained from the world is found in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, which says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's the issue. Love is like our highest affection. Do we love the world more than we love the will of God? If we do, then James says we're deceiving ourselves. And the truth is, we are unable to keep ourselves unstained from the world on our own. Religion won't do it. The only way that we can be unstained is by the precious blood of Christ, which is like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus is the one, the only one who can remove our sinful stains. His perfect, spotless, sinless life and the way he gave his life for us is what keeps us unstained from the world. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Have you asked him to forgive you? Have you asked him to to take your sins away? Have you turned over all your spots and wrinkles, the stains of living life without him, and confessed it to him? He is the only one who can take away your sins. There is no religion, no life of obedience that can save you, no other name who can forgive you, no other life that can be given for you, only Jesus. If you've never asked him to save you, you could ask him right now, and he will. And if you made that decision, the result of that is what James describes as a spiritual life that is pure and undefiled before God the Father. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Speaking. Serving. Staying unstained from the world. These are three ways to be doers of the word and then to not be deceived. These three themes in James are more than just a call to action for us. 
more than just a few of the ways that we can be Christians. They are the overflow of the character of God. Quickly jump back with me to verse 18 of James chapter 1. Of his own will, it says, God brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. God brought us forth by the word of truth. He speaks to us. We are born again through the power of the word of God. God has spoken, and when he speaks, his words are true. They will always accomplish what he wills. They are never vulgar. They are never abusive. They always build up. They comfort. And we carry with us in our speech the very message of salvation that is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a gift that God would allow us to speak his words. And we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, verse 18 says. He has set us apart for a purpose. Be holy, for I am holy, God says. Live as I live. We are made in his image. We are meant to be unstained from the world just as he is. That's who he is. And because we are his children, we should be like him. We should live like him. We should love like him. We are the first fruits of his creature, of his creatures, meant to be unstained from the world like he is. And God did all of this of his own will. Just as we are called to serve people in need, God spontaneously cared for people who were helpless. People like me and people like you. Out of his own will, he did this because of who he is. It was his idea to save a people from their sins. Out of his own will, he sent his only son into the world. No one forced him. No one coerced him. He did it of his own will because he loves us. This is the heart of God, to serve. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life for those who couldn't save themselves. God helps the helpless by speaking to us, by serving us. And it's all because of his glorious holiness. Who is like our God? Let's give thanks to him. Our Father, we are grateful that you speak to us through your word. We are thankful, God, of who you are, for your perfect, unchanging character, for your example of holiness, Lord Jesus, for your perfect, sinless, obedient life that you lived. And we are eternally grateful that you gave your life in our place that you didn't come to be served as the Son of God, but you came to serve us, the ones that you have created, the ones whom you love. I pray for my friends today that they might be encouraged about the love of God for them and might be reminded of your call on each and every one of our lives to be a faithful follower, following after you, following your lead, aiming to be more and more like you, Jesus. We pray all of this. In your powerful name, amen.